This is the Ellis Martin Report. When you hear us mention companies doing any kind of business, there's a large probability, if not a certainty, that the Ellis Martin Report is compensated for that mention. Subscribe to the Ellis Martin Report. It's easy and it's free. Visit us at ellismartinreport.com. Here's Ellis Martin. In this segment of the Ellis Martin Report, I speak with Dr. Paul Wessels, the president and CEO of Western Copper and Gold Corporation, trading on the New York Stock Exchange and the Toronto Stock Exchange as WRN. Western Copper and Gold Corporation is developing the Casino Project, Canada's premier copper gold mine in the Yukon Territory, and one of the most economic greenfield copper gold mining projects in the world. The Casino Project hosts approximately 7.6 billion pounds of copper, as well as 14.5 million ounces of gold, one of the largest projects of its kind, again held by a junior mining company in the world. Major mining operator Rio Tinto Canada made a $25.6 million strategic investment to advance the company's casino project in the Yukon just last year. Paul, welcome back to the program. Before we get into the specifics of the casino project and the fact that Rio Tinto has vested heavily in your company, Western Copper and Gold, I'd like to talk about the market in general. It's a really tough market. You must agree we haven't really seen this kind of suppressed market since perhaps 2008. And it's during this particular time, if you take a position in companies such as yours, others in the space with good management teams and great projects and money in the bank, that you can have the kind of upside that a lot of smart, really sophisticated investors like to see potentially. What are your thoughts about that? That's exactly right. I mean, it's a tough market. There's no denying that. But what's interesting, you bring up 2008. I always tell the story, our chairman, who's now retired, Dale Corman, bought our shares, so Western Copper and Gold shares, for 30 cents. Beginning in 2009, we were trading at 30 cents. He said, this is crazy. This is such a great project. He picked up a million shares at 30 cents. So, I mean, he's got a pretty big position. I talk to him all the time, but that's what you can do. This is Canadian. So now we're trading at about $1.80. I mean, you can have these immense returns if you invest in the right companies. And what are you looking for? You're looking at for management teams. You're looking for good projects, of course, with Casino, close to 11 billion pounds of copper, 21 million ounces of gold, full feasibility study that just came out. And actually, most importantly, in these sort of markets, you got to have enough cash to keep yourself going. So, I mean, mid-year, we had $38 million in the bank. It's a lot of money. That's more than what we need for this year, next year, year after that, moving forward. Very comfortable position to sort of ride out the storm right now. You don't have to go back to the market for money anytime soon. Of course, no guarantees. And many of the juniors in the space right now are struggling for money and it's hard to come by. No, it absolutely is. I was actually in London. I was at LME Week and have some investors there and, you know, reached out to some potential new investors and no one's taking meetings and everyone is just sort of sitting on their hands right now. So it's a very, very challenging market to raise money. We've got a good pot of money and it's enough for us to keep going too. Sure, it's more than enough to keep the lights on, but more importantly, it's sufficient to really drive the project forward here, which is really to get it into permitting mid-year next year. A lot of us are investors specifically because because of the fact that you've got this joint venture, if you will, or Rio Tinto has invested so much in your particular company. I've been to your project. It's amazing. So when's the deal going to go down? (laughs) I'll tell you what I can say. There's a couple of things. First of all, when we signed the investor agreement with Rio Tinto May of last year, and really what it contemplated was working through a scope of work. When we talked to them, they said, look, need to do a bit more work to understand the asset before we can talk about next steps, significant next steps. And And they said, we need about a month or a year's worth of work. We set up an 18 month, gave it a little bit of a buffer, 18 month agreement. So that agreement comes due on the 28th of November. So not very far away. And where we're at is that 
the work is pretty much done. So it's been a good relationship. And I can say that the resource drilling, and that was released last year, looks really, really good. The last bit was a MET program, which is just finishing up here right now. Recoveries look very similar to what we published in our feasibility study, and in some cases, a little bit better. Obviously, we talk to Rio all the time, and they're dotting their I's and crossing their T's. And yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what comes in the next few months here. But on the 28th of November here, which is a few weeks away, so they have an opportunity to extend the agreement that we have with them for up to a year. So we'll see what happens with that. But like I said, the work is essentially done. So it's really what are the next steps here. So we could see a deal or an acquisition offer by the end of January. You're not going to answer that. Okay, moving on. So what are the next steps aside from evaluation from Rio Tinto going forward for the next six months or so into next year? Obviously, you've got this great relationship with Rio and we'll see where that goes. But we can't let that stop us from driving the project forward. We are in an enviable position that we have enough cash in the bank to sort of move it forward. So the drive is really to get it into permitting. So mid-year next year, and then get the project permitted. And if you think about that, why get a project permitted other than what de-risks it? But when we've done the analysis, what you see is a project, particularly larger project like our casino copper gold project. When you bring that project from a resource and a feasibility study to a fully permitted shovel ready project, you go from we're sitting at sort of 0.1 to 0.2 times NAV and you get up to sort of 0.4 to 0.5 times NAV. That's a big bounce. So that's the drive for that. As I said, we're now seven, eight months away from submitting that. A lot of the heavy lifting has been done in terms of cost. It's not a big expense for us to move that through the permitting process. It'll take a bit of time, but then we actually drop this project into a really nice copper market. You know, everyone is saying that the copper market right now is balanced, but then boy, we really need copper here in about three, four years. And that's really the timeline that we're talking about. So on one hand, hopefully things work out with Rio. On the other hand, I mean, the backup plan looks pretty good. Let's talk about the share structure of the company. We've got a few really good institutional shareholders. I mean, our largest institutional shareholder is Fidelity. And then after that, it's a bunch of blue chip funds, Franklin, Copernic, sort of other big shareholders. Insiders have a little over 5%. One of our directors, Mike Vuitton, has got a pretty big position with about 4%. And then in addition to that, do I talk to what our ex-chairman has got a big position, a couple of his friends, a very big position as well. And these are people that we talk to all the time. So it's nice that we've got that blue chip and also we're not quite friends and family, but sort of around that with our uh, ex-chairman and you know a couple of our directors as well. You and I are going to be attending Minds and Money November 29th. I believe it's running through the 2nd or 3rd of December. And I'm going to be hosting a panel where we have a bunch of so-called experts like myself. <laughs> and I say that tongue in cheek. I love all those guys. Really, the main topic is where's the gold of the future going to come from? That's a really good question because I think that it's going to be projects just like ours. I will explain why. First of all, we have a 21 million ounce gold deposit with Casino. 21 million ounces. If you look at undeveloped gold projects that are controlled by a junior mining company, that's the eighth largest in the world. You know what the primary metal in my deposit is? Copper. <laughs> that's so. It's still a copper deposit, but it has so much gold. And A, you get very, very large gold deposits that come with copper and you know, large copper porphyry such as ourselves. B, it protects you. You're in these situations like what we've seen here over the past 12 months where gold's been sort of under a bit of pressure. Coppers actually look pretty good. I mean, copper, it was only a couple of years ago, the copper was under $3 and now it got close to three bucks, but it's been holding pretty nicely. It's sort of 
340, 350 here. This is me talking, but all you have to do is look around and see what the big boys are doing. Barrick almost bought Freeport for Grassbrook. What is that? A primary copper mine with a lot of gold. You've got Newmont. They bought part of Galore Creek. They bought a couple earlier stage copper gold development projects in Northern British Columbia. You look at Agnico Eagle just buying St. Nicholas, part of St. Nicholas with tech. I mean, this is a base metals with a good precious metal component in Mexico. Even the majors are starting to do that as well. And they can't get too much base metal exposure, but they like a little bit of it. And I think a simpler way to get that gold precious metals component with that sort of little buffer of having base metals as part of the mix. Audience, I think we're suggesting something to you, but I'm not going to come out and say it. Dr. Paul Westsells, it's always great to chat with you and visit with you. I look forward to seeing you in London in just a few weeks at Minds and Money. Thanks so much for joining me today in the program. It's always a pleasure, Alice, and really looking forward to seeing you in London. I've been speaking with Dr. Paul Wessels, the president and CEO of Western Copper and Gold Corporation. Trading on the New York Stock Exchange and the Toronto Stock Exchange as WRN. Go to the company's website, westerncoppercorp.com. Join me now for a conversation with Claudia Tornquist, president and CEO of Kodiak Copper Corporation. Trading as KDK on the TSX Venture Exchange, KDKCF in the U.S., and 5DD1 in Frankfurt. Kodiak Copper's most advanced asset is the MPD Copper Gold Porphyry Project, in the prolific Cajunel Trough in southern British Columbia, Canada, where in 2020 the company made a high-grade discovery at the Gate Zone, which is part of a zone copper-gold enriched envelope of significant size. Kodiak also holds the Mojave Copper Molybdenum Silver Porphyry Project in Arizona, near the world-class Baghdad mine. Both of Kodiak's porphyry projects have been historically drilled and present known mineral discoveries with the potential to hold large-scale deposits. The company's chairman is Chris Taylor, the CEO of sister company prolific in the gold space, Great Bear Resources. Ms. Tornquist is formerly general manager at Rio Tinto, working with their copper and diamond operations. She also held the position of executive vice president of business development for the streaming company Sandstorm Gold. Claudia, welcome back to the program. The market's been really tough around the world for commodities in general, especially precious metals, base metals, everywhere you look. It's been kind of a bloodbath. And with regard to copper, I can't see how we're going to live without it. And the supply chain is constrained. The demand is there. That doesn't quit. Prices are suppressed. What has been your sentiment? I can certainly see a lot of interest in copper. They're obviously the traditional people interested in base metals, but what I've seen over the last couple of months is also a lot of traditional precious metals investors having interest in copper. I remember being at the Beaver Creek conference, was it two months ago? And of my 40 or so meetings, there were a whole number of meetings, five, six, seven, eight, where people told me, well, I've only been investing in precious metals, but I really like the copper story. I really like the fundamentals and I'm specifically looking now for copper stocks. So there's certainly a lot of interest and yeah, both from precious metals investors, from traditional base metals investors. And I think it's just really the fundamentals that are driving it. The demand from the green transition that you just mentioned, and then the lack of supply. That is always been a story for the past 20 years, as I can remember, with regard to copper. It hasn't changed. I've never seen all the fundamentals line up exactly as they are right now, especially with this huge, huge... When you're thinking about more interest in the market, more investors coming into the market at some point, do you think there's going to be sort of a copper rush or is it just going to be gradual? There's nobody to know for sure. I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on it. I think, first of all, this this green transition is a real mega trend. The last big mega trend was the Chinese boom of a decade or 
or more ago, and that really stimulated metals demand and resource demand. And I think the energy transition, if anything, more powerful because it's not just one country, it's really a global megatrend. I think for many years, if not decades to come, we'll see very strong commodities demand, copper demand, and other battery metals and other commodities out of that. I'm going to ask you a bit of a personal question right now, Claudia. You became an investor in this company because you like to buy smart companies before you became the CEO of the company. It's a lot of work running a public company. It's endless. You probably wake up with thoughts about it. And I have to ask you, why did you select something so challenging at this point in your life? That's an interesting question. I got involved with Kodiak very early on. It was in 2015, actually, when Chris Taylor, Kodiak's founder and chairman, when he had just started the company and was raising the first round of finance. And I was actually an investor at that time. I met Chris, really liked him. So I invested in Kodiak and we then worked together. Chris and I worked as a consultant initially for Kodiak and then went on the board and then later joined Chris um, in the executive team. And that's how I became the CEO. And yeah, what I liked is firstly the team, Chris, and also the discovery group that we're part of, because really at the end of the day, the people behind the company, that's a big, big, very big part of the success. And I also really believe in our projects. I think MPD, our main project, has a lot of upside, and I'm very excited about unlocking that. I mean, Cody just has the right ingredient. I chatted with Chris Taylor quite a bit when he was for front with the sister company Great Bear, which was taken out by Kinross recently. Very smart individual, extremely bright, and I have to ask you, what's he focusing on now with Kodiak? Chris's role in Kodiak or what he brings to the company is very much was he brought to Great Bear. He's a very creative, out-of-the-box thinking geologist, and he very much guides our technical work. And what many people don't know, Chris's background and expertise as a geologist is actually in copper. He started his geologist career with Imperial Metals and worked for a couple of years for them, exploring for copper porphyry in North America. So exactly what Kodiak does. And Chris knows several of the North American porphyries intimately, like Red Chris and others. And he's a real porphyry expert. And that's what he brings to Kodiak. And his expertise in porphyries and his geological expertise is really invaluable to the company. I have to say that's the main reason I became a shareholder of the company. As soon as I met you and learned about the team and what was happening with Great Bear at the time, I thought, well, maybe I can have a real win with Kodiak, quite honestly. A lot of junior mining companies right now are not fully funded. They're struggling for money. Money is hard to get. Where does Kodiak sit in that equation? We're fortunate. We financed earlier this year in spring, 10 million, almost 9.6, just before the market took a turn for the worse, which means now in total, we still have 9 million in the treasury and are fully funded for this year, well funded for a big drill problem again next year. And we don't need to worry about going back to the market and financing soon. I think in the past, we've been fortunate in picking the time to finance without diluting our shareholders too much. We financed twice in the last two years, once directly after our discovery at a really good price and then again this spring and so yeah we're fully financed and still tightly held only 55 million shares outstanding 
That is an extremely tight share structure, and I can certainly appreciate that. Again, I'm a shareholder of Kodiak Copper. And just to review the latest news, came out a while back with regard to copper equivalent in the gate zone and then a new trend in the prime zone. Our last set of results were, again, from the gate zone and near the gate zone, which keeps delivering nice, long intercepts with good high-grade copper and gold mineralization. So very pleased. There are lots more results to come. So far, we have released nine holes from this year's drill program and we have drilled way over 30 and still drilling and we also have done a geophysical program a sampling program some trenching so lots of results yet to come i look forward to seeing you at the end of the month at mines and money in london excellent looking forward i've been speaking with claudia tornquist president and ceo of kodiak copper corporation trading as kdk on the tsx venture exchange kdkcf in the u.s and 5dd1 in frankfurt find the complete story on the company's website, KodiakCopperCorp.com. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me for a conversation with Jonathan Weisblatt, the CEO of Rockridge Resources, trading as ROCK on the TSX Venture Exchange and RRRLF in the U.S. Rockridge Resources is a publicly traded mineral exploration company focused on the acquisition, exploration, and development of mineral resource properties in Canada, specifically copper and battery metal projects. The company's flagship is the Knife Lake Project, located in Saskatchewan, which is ranked as one of the best mining jurisdictions in the world. John, welcome back to the program. It's been a long time. How have you been? I've been doing great, Ellis. Since we last spoke, my grocery bills up, fuel expenses are up, mortgage expenses are up. I mean, and some inflation since we last spoke, that's for sure. This is a huge, huge opportunity, especially in the equities, especially in the metals market, especially for copper. What I was going to say is that things are looking more expensive all around us, except for things like equities, right? Even bonds. So if we go back over the last 100 years, if you were running a balanced portfolio, so 60% fixed income, 40% equity, this is the second worst year on record, which is a crazy thought because in many environments where bonds are doing well and money is flowing into bonds, they flow out of equity. So one or the other are working and vice versa with equity markets, right? It's just the flow of capital. In this environment, in this macro backdrop, we're seeing significant drawdowns in both of those two fundamental asset classes. When I look at both fixed income and equity, and you know my background is mostly in equities, I'm seeing some pretty good value and some pretty good areas of the marketplace. One of the things that we've seen over the last decade or so, and we were speaking about this offline, is that there were five stocks, five mega cap tech stocks that really carried the performance of the S&P 500 over that period of time. It didn't really support a healthy underbelly of the equity markets, and that was factual. And today you're seeing the unwind of that very passive trade. I'm referring to Apple, Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google, and we've seen approximately a trillion dollars of wealth wiped out from the markets from those five stocks alone. And so what we're seeing now is a recalibration, growth becoming out of favor, and value starting to perk its head up. Value perking its head up is suggestive of a better, a healthier commodities market, commodity cycle going forward. So I started at the macro and I've worked my way all the way down to the commodity cycle. And I think we're here to talk a little bit more about copper and more specifically 
about Rockridge. All right. Well, with the supply chain constrained as it is and the electrification of the world, especially here in California, where there's a demand to phase out combustion engines by 2035, where's all that copper coming from? And why aren't we seeing that love in the market right now for copper? Let's start on the consumption or the demand side of things. And I was in California this past summer on a trip with my family, and I had actually never been to that state. And I think I mentioned this to you in the past. I was absolutely shocked by the number of electric vehicles running through that part of the world relative to where I am in the Northeast. And just seeing the potential for increased demand and consumption for electric vehicle metals, that trip, it reinvigorated my excitement. It's proving out my thesis towards consumption for these metals like copper. Consumption and demand, I think, is quite favorable over the next decade plus, just given some of those trends that we're seeing in the marketplace. The real issue is happening on the supply side of things, and there's a number of of things that are contributing to that. On supply side, there has been a significant underinvestment in most commodities throughout the complex, including copper, for almost the past decade. There has been a lack of influx of CapEx that has gone into discovering new mines, advancing existing mines, and as we churn through the higher grade portions, we have done very poor job of going and building out the next sections of mines in order to supply the market. So supply is in rough shape, and I expect that will continue going forward. Once we come through this economic trouble that we're seeing in the marketplace, once China starts to come out of their lockdown, which has been going on greater than two years, given the COVID pandemic, and demand starts to reaccelerate, there is going to be very few places for that next marginal layer of supply to come into the market. When that happens, you get price reaction. Copper specifically has managed to hold 350 level quite robustly for several months now, which suggests to me that the next marginal supply of copper must come on at a price that exceeds 350. So price in the medium to longer term, we are incredibly bullish about. And once you have that supply demand equilibrium really start to take hold, take effect, we expect significant price reaction for the underlying commodity. When that happens, you're really going to want to be exposed to excellent projects run by good teams with excellent shareholders in very safe and durable jurisdictions. I think Rockridge meets all of those criteria. And you're specifically talking about Rockridge's Knife Lake Copper Project in Saskatchewan, Canada, with some great news recently. These are the kinds of grades that get a market kind of excited, and we've seen a bit of that today in the market. Yeah, absolutely. So we just completed in the summer approximately 940-meter drilling program over six holes. Assays have come back from four of those holes. Two remain outstanding. So just to end on some of the real specifics here, the results at Knife Lake deposit, the maiden deposit, they continued to exceed our expectations. High-grade mineralization, including grades greater than 2% copper over approximately 16 meters, were very exciting and indicative of the fact that this is a high-grade, shallow, and incredibly economic deposit at scale. So we continue to see very, very positive results 
from the maiden deposit. These, this very encouraging. In addition to that, we continue to remain optimistic that further work at exploration target areas like Gilbert, south specifically, is warranted. And that fits our working thesis that Gilbert is part of a larger remobilized VMS system on a broader scale. So excellent results in filling and backfilling the resource at Knife Lake. And we continue to see very prospective exploration opportunities in areas just adjacent and outside of the maiden deposit. There's going to be some folks that are going to take a look at your chart and they're going to see depending on what country they live in, either a five-cent stock or a three-and-a-half-cent stock. And that's going to be potentially a big turnoff. We've got other companies on the program, other copper companies that trade north of a dollar. I see... Rockridge currently as a potential opportunity that needs more eyes and ears on it, which is one of the reasons you sponsor this particular program. And if there was ever a time for an upside when the equities markets finally turn and they see a project like yours, the potential for upside, if you head up to 30 cents or 50 cents or a dollar is just amazing. There is no doubt that Rockridge is significantly undervalued as per my own opinion. If you look at the calculation of enterprise value per ounce in situ, ounce in the ground, the stock trades at a level of depression that you very rarely see. And that in turn can spark a very, very interesting entry point for existing and new shareholders. And what's really going to excite investors about a company like this and a project like Knife Lake is the fact that it's in a great region. A number of other financial participants, including some of the largest pension funds in Canada, Fairfax Financial, and other corporates, large enterprises, they've all been supplying CapEx to the region. This is a team that is very technically capable. We built an incredibly strong management team, technical group, board of directors. It's a very robust, shallow, and potentially very economic deposit. All of those things, when you put them in the blender and you whip it up, out of that comes a potentially very intriguing investment opportunity for shareholders. That's how I look at valuation right now. Especially with this news, and it's good news, and really, it's about where's the copper coming five years from now, 10 years from now, 15 years from now. 20 years from now. Nobody's really planning for that. There probably needs to be another 500 mines on this planet to meet that demand. No doubt. And until investors, large global investors start to provide the capital required for great companies, large companies, because it starts there with the mega cap producers to go in and look for more copper, improve the quality of their existing operations or consolidate. And that's a good topic that we should move on to, Ellis. Until those three things happen, the supply depression for base metal, specifically copper, is going to continue. So we really need to see some more capital coming into the space. You know, I think we're going to see it. We don't know when that's going to happen, but we're definitely going to see it. And there's going to be some deals that will be done, especially in the M&A space, some JV. You have a great deal of land too, a nice footprint in Saskatchewan. Correct. Greater than 55,000 hectares of highly prospective lands. And there's 11 plus really key, highly prospective exploration targets that are on our radar. And we continue to just get to them one by one. There's a lot of excitement surrounding Rockridge. I want to talk a little bit about a point that we were making offline, and that's consolidation. There needs to be a scale in this industry. I really do think that what you're going to see on a general level, a macro level going forward, is that there's going to be a lot of great deal flow, a lot of great acquisitions, M&A. I think that investors should really pay attention to good management teams doing good deals for the shareholders. I've been speaking with Jonathan Weisblatt, CEO of Rockridge Resources, trading 
listing as ROCK on the TSX Venture Exchange and RRRLF in the United States. I'm Ellis Martin. This is the Ellis Martin Report. Join Ellis now for a conversation with Anil Varach, the Executive Vice President and Director of Step Gold, trading in the U.S. on the OTCQX as STPGF and on the Toronto Exchange as STGO. Step Gold is Mongolia's premier precious metals company and is projected to produce over 100,000 ounces of gold from the current operational oxide zone of the ATO gold mine this year in 2022 and in 2023. The company also completed a feasibility study into expansion of the ATO gold mine to approximately 100,000 ounces of gold per annum from the development of underlying fresh rock ores. Anil, welcome back to the program. How are you? I'm good. Alice, how are you? Great. Good to chat with you today. What are your thoughts about the gold market right now? Everyone I speak to, everybody in the industry, thinks that at some point it's going to turn around and maybe go parabolic. I don't know if parabolic is the right word or if that will ever happen. We know it will happen. We just don't know when. What are your thoughts? Yeah, exactly. I mean, we're not in the forecasting business, but usually if you had, for example, a war going on, that would be enough to get the gold price moving. Now add in three other layers of world crisis, food crisis, supply chain issues, inflation. I mean, we have more than we've ever seen all happening at the same time. So it's actually remarkable how gold hasn't moved as yet. It will shine. It will have its time. I wish I could tell you when. It's just really nice to be able to operate in this environment and still generate a strong margin and wait for some movement. As we saw, a couple of years ago in 2020, right? Where we hit new highs. And that was just on COVID. That's true. <laughs> that was kind of a black swan event there, wasn't it? I don't want another black swan event. And I'm sure you don't either. We just need something to show the market that gold is really the true currency, the oldest currency on the planet. And there are producers like your company in Mongolia that are generating gold. Yeah, we're producing gold. We've actually grown the reserves and resources of gold we have in the ground while continuing to produce it. So we certainly have that torque and leverage from whenever gold decides to move. Certainly I do think many countries are buying more than they've ever bought. That's India and China included. You're seeing other currencies except for USD. Gold has actually performed. You have to look at it that way too, that in local currencies, the gold price is actually significantly higher. And USD, with the USD strength, that's also a factor that's kept the price of gold down. Trying to think of the USD, but the, guess what? Interest rates, it's gone up. So has the USD, right? So it makes sense in some ways. At the same time, I'm hearing that the physical supply of gold is not what it was and it's being constrained. So why are we having these low prices? right now. I wish I can give you that exact answer, but certainly it's a perfect storm for gold moving up significantly. As we all know, there has been an underinvestment in expiration and delineation of additional reserves or new discoveries. So when people want more gold, price will certainly move. And for producers looking to replenish, that will require some M&A at some point. So I think all that will be the perfect storm for not just the gold price, but gold equities. That's where you get the real torque and leverage in this gold price movement. So when gold moves up a hundred bucks or 5%, you can get five and 10 X of that return on the equities. So that's, I think it's going to be very interesting and for many investors to look for. As we've seen many times in the last few cycles, no issues. It's always gone that way. That's true. There's a lot of folks that when they hear that gold is going up, they go ahead and accumulate the physical gold. They have no idea about the equities, but the most leverage that you can get, as you said, potentially is in the equities. And in fairly short order compared to a 2X or a 3X in physical gold, which may take 10 or 15 years to see. And that's a very, very long time. And really, it's an education process, letting the public know those folks that are interested in accumulating physical 
physical goal right now. Given the choice between putting 10 or 15 or 20 grand in physical gold, it's not a bad idea to own physical gold. But if you're looking for an upside, really think about good companies, companies that are producing or near production with great management teams, money in the bank. Yeah, there's risk, but the potential for upside, as you said, is, is very nice. Absolutely. And, and we've seen it before. I mean, just even in our, in our own stock, April 2020, starting production for the first time. So we were not a producer before April 2020 and COVID had started. So lots of risk on the table. People thought we wouldn't start production, would have issues with supply chain because the countries were closed. Happened later, but our stock went from 90 cents to $3 in a matter of three months. So we saw exactly that. As the gold price moved up, recovered from the sell-off with every other asset at the beginning of COVID in that winter of 2020 to hitting all-time highs. And our stock price reacted exactly so. And so we were up 3x in that short period of time. Obviously, like everything else, we come down with the market. But I think you're going to see that happen again for many companies, both across development and producing. Because as the margin goes up, gold price goes up $100. That's a maybe a 5% movement in the gold price. But that could be a 10 to 15% in your margin as a producer. And so that's their torque and leverage right there. You can see. It's a really good idea to scope these companies out if you're not a shareholder of companies like Step or others that are positioned for the turnaround in the market. You're trading at about 78 cents US today as of this broadcast. And again, if you had a high, let's say three months ago or a year ago of, well, a year ago it was $1.42. And that's potentially a double right there. So really, the market's been just shaking itself out positioning itself for a great return, hopefully. Yeah, exactly. And I guess the comment there is a year ago, we were actually were not in production. So we had a lot of risk. People assume we had to raise equity because we had to defer production because of the supply chain issues. And we've been in production since March of this year, steadily every month hitting new highs of production. In September, I think we produced about 5,300 or 5,500 ounces, a record actually last quarter in Q2 versus Q3. To say Q3, you know, our production increased 30% quarter over quarter. So in fact, our share price was higher a year ago when we weren't in production and there was no path guarantee when we were to restart production while waiting for the key supplies. And today we're building up that supply inventory and we've been in production for nine months without any issues. So again, I would say de-risk at a lower price. Well, I'm not talking to any other juniors that are producing right now in this space. We don't have any other sponsors that are actually doing what you're doing right now, which is what every investor really should look for. You know, you want to mix, right? In your own portfolio, like you said, physical, why not? You should. You think there's limited downside and certainly if it doubles or triples in the next five, 10 years, not bad for insurance. Of course, it won't have the same token leverage. Expiration plays, you can certainly have a little bit of that and developers and producers. We just happen to be all three at the moment. We're producing, we're expanding and developing our phase two to double our current production profile that has a much more meaningful mine life in about two years, over 10 years and over 100 thousand ounces and yet we're still exploring and finding more gold and, and hopefully again creating more wealth under underground same time above ground so what's coming up during the next six months or so that we haven't discussed well i guess as long as production stays online over the next six months this will be our first year running 12 months non-stop so the previous winters we actually never ran through the winter it gets quite cold in mongolia and because of those supply chain issues we actually saved some of that the cyanide reagents for spring months so we can actually produce and generate some cash in the winter months you always have discounted recoveries deferred recoveries but this will be our first next quarter and the quarter after producing through winter, essentially producing all year round. So that's a big deal because again, no production doesn't come offline, which means we're still generating cash, cash flow and sales. And it keeps the pad warmer going into the summer, which means we'll end up 
with what we expect higher production in the summer months. That's one key is the production without any start and stop as in previous years. So first time this will be happening. So we're very excited to be able to produce again, still a discounted monthly production for the cold months, really starting now till about February, but that's all expected. And so that's seasonality when you work in colder climates, but that's just deferred production. Second, I think is continued updates on that expansion. So our last update was a couple months ago on the power solution, which saved over a hundred dollars an ounce in our phase two expansion. The crusher we announced for phase two to be fully installed within a matter of days now. So that almost a $8 million purchase and installation US for our phase two expansion. It's a thousand ton per hour fixed question circuit that's now almost fully installed. I think in the new year, later Q1, you'll hear about the commissioning of it because we don't really need to run it over the winter, crush additional material. We've already built up an inventory of about 70,000 ounces on a recovered basis, sitting there unprocessed on our leach pad, our ROM pad and blast in the pits. So we don't really need to build up more inventory for the next year. We just need to get continue to process that inventory we've built up, but certainly updates on that phase two expansion. And I think the, the major update there beyond this crusher installation and commissioning would be a debt package. So we did receive a year ago, sponsored by the Bank of Mongolia, 60 million US of debt for the phase two expansion. So that was a year ago. And we're looking by end of this year or early Q1 to expand that debt package to about 100-ish, call it 120 on the larger side, million US, which allows us to be funded for that phase two expansion with debt and that inventory I just mentioned. So that's a big deal because it shows everyone that we're funded no matter what's going on in the world, which is a lot, not very favorable. We're looking for new debt or project financing for a lot of parties. We're going to show that we're actually funded in bringing this larger production profile online. That's a huge key. And again, with that phase two update, there'll be some further optimization and updates. I think we're updating the mine plan. So that could add some more in the reserves that exist today from last year's update as well. Maybe making that project more robust today. It's about 10 and a half years, just over a hundred thousand ounces for the first five years. We think that's going to be more production and life of mine extension. So quite a lot of updates there from the phase two side of things. And then last but not least, we are drilling on both of our projects. So we are drilling underneath the current deposits where we've already shown new discoveries and extensions, which will extend and grow that mine light and add more material. So we're drilling as we speak and should have results in the next two to three months, we expect at the ATO project and then maiden results at our second project, which is the undrilled expiration license, 14,400 hectare expiration license called Udum Hundi or the UK project. And we just completed 3000 meters there, maiden drilling, first time ever drilled. So we'll have some maiden results coming from that project as well over these next couple of months. So that's a nice expiration news flow. That will get people excited on both projects, we think. And the second project, the UK project, as a reminder, that's already been drilled around. So we have another peer who's had a lot of success and new discoveries and drilling over a million ounces on the adjoining licenses to the north and the south. And I believe they'll have an update coming out later this year showing they have about 2 million ounces. So very exciting place to be. We're very excited. Lots of news flow, lots of updates across production, expansion, and expiration. If you haven't taken a look at Step Gold trading on the TSX, the Toronto Stock Exchange under the symbol ST, TGO, or in the U.S. on the OTC markets as STPGF, you certainly should do so right now. Anil, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you so much for joining me today in the program. Thanks, Ellis. Ellis has been speaking with Anil Varach, the Executive Vice President and Director of Step Gold, trading in the U.S. on the OTC QX as STPGF and on the Toronto Exchange as STGO. Find out more info on the company by going to their website, stepgold.com. That's S-T-E-P-P-E-Gold.com. Hear this interview again on our website, ellis.gold. Subscribe to the Ellis Martin Newsletter. It's free. Go to ellismartinreport.com 
and fill out the quick and easy pop-up form. Visit ellismartinreport.com.